they say you're living good Pretty lawns with fancy landscapes She stares ahead with a blank gaze In her lovely neighborhood Where the living is good And welcome to Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. Welcome again back to KMET. If you're one of the 75,000 potential listeners out there uh, and you were listening last week, you know that that was our comedy show. And uh, we enjoyed that so much that we decided to uh, inject a little bit of that into our show every single week. So here we go. There were two elderly people living in a Florida mobile home park. He was a widower and she a widow. They had known one another for a number of years. One evening, there was a community supper in the big activity center. The two were at the same table across from one another. And as the meal went on, he made a few admiring glances at her and finally gathered his courage and asked her, will you marry me? After about six seconds of careful consideration, she answered, yes, yes, I will. The meal ended and with a few more pleasant exchanges, they went to their respective places. The next morning, he was troubled. Did she say yes? Or did she say no? He couldn't remember. Dry as he would, he just could not recall, not even a faint memory. With trepidation, he went to the telephone and called her. First, he explained that he didn't remember as well as he used to. And then he reviewed the lovely evening past. As he gained a little more courage, he inquired, when I asked you if you would marry me, did you say yes or did you say no? He was delighted to hear her say, why, I said, yes, yes, I will. And I meant it with all my heart. And then she continued, and I'm so glad that you called because I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> so moving on, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting things about aging is memory. And there's a lot written about dementia and Alzheimer's, but even, even in a lesser form, even having what I like to call flat spots, where all of a sudden you're in the middle of a sentence and all of a sudden you can't remember what it was that you were going to say or a fact or a person's name. It's, it's definitely something that seems to happen with age to most people I know. Some of them admit it, many of them don't and are in denial. And that actually brings me to my topic, which is the denial of aging. It's, it's one thing to be in denial of death. I can certainly appreciate that. I think a lot of people are in denial of death. It's not something that we, um, we traditionally talk about in Western culture. We have a um, non-humanistic approach to death. It's really more a question of how can we avoid it instead of how can we embrace it and you know just see it as part of our life. Denial of aging is becoming more and more common nowadays. Um, especially as more and more people start to retire. Um, and one of the things that happens is that very, very bad decisions get made. And let me explain to you what I mean. It's, it's not unusual when a couple have a child that they start to child-proof the house. You put those little inserts into the outlets so the baby doesn't stick his fingers into the, the socket and you put gates up so he doesn't fall down the stairs and so on and so forth. You put bumpers in the crib, all of that stuff. But what we don't realize, what we don't want to realize is that at a certain place, 
usually somewhere in our early 60s, we, we sort of start reverting, I like to call it reverting, back to a childhood model. And what I mean by that is maybe we're just not as steady on our feet. Maybe um, it's hard to step over into things, okay? Maybe going up steps be becomes a, a challenge. Um, and one of the big issues with that is that there's a lot of energy going into the baby boomer generation to age in place, age in place. That essentially, that's a fancy way of saying you want to stay in your house until you die, aging in place. The problem with aging in place is that living in a home that we've been into for years when we were in our 40s and our 50s is not the same as living in that home when, when, when we're in our 60s and 70s and 80s. And there are things that are necessary that you have to do and that you have to look at in order to stay in your home and age in place safely. Just like when you have a grandchild, want your kids to baby-proof the house? Well, guess what? When you get into your 70s and 80s, your kids want you to senior-proof the house. They want you to make adjustments to things so that it's a safer environment fit for you. And so they don't have to pick you up off the floor. We're going to talk more about this, but right now we're going to take a break. You're listening to KMET. This is Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz, and we'll be right back after this. And we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. We were talking before the break about denial of aging. And before we get back into that, I just want to let ask you a question, all right? Does, does the idea of Ronald Reagan, Reverend Billy Graham, Clint Eastwood, and Bob Hope, does that, you know, those four names get you excited? That, then you're going to want to stay right where you are and meet our guest this week. Anyway, back to, the, back to the subject at hand, denial of aging. In an article written by Forbes Money, and I quote, AARP has been on a crusade to help people age in place for at least a decade now, and many people are planning on doing just that. Fine. But aging in place is about more than removing area rugs, widening doorways, and reducing clutter. Often it means taking a good hard look at your home of 20, 30, or 40-something years and acknowledging that it is a totally inappropriate structure for anyone beyond their seventh or eighth decade. Think about that. What would make your home inappropriate for you in your 70s and 80s? More importantly, why is it that everybody wants to age in place? You know, there are other options out there that for a lot of people make a ton of sense, but you have to open your mind. You have to reverse your thinking. You, you know, maybe it makes sense. Go on a tour of an assisted living facility. Go on a tour of a, of a senior living community. I know uh, on the surface of it, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not that old. I don't need that. I'm not a senior. Well, yeah, you are a senior. And maybe you do need that. And maybe, maybe, just maybe in your 70s or your 80s, aging in place with all that stuff that you've been holding on to for 30, 40, 50 years isn't better than having a community of people that, you know, remember when Tom Seaver won the World Series for the New York Mets. Maybe, maybe it, just maybe, 
you know, you, you, you want to be with a community like that. Anyway, this article by Forbes, um, it, it asks the question, it begs the question, what are some of the things that you really have to take into consideration if you're going to age in place? I don't even like using that term. If you're going to want to stay in your house, want to stay in your home, all right? What are the things you have to take in consideration? Well, one thing you have to take in consideration is that we all get a little bit unsteady as we get older. I know for me, I got news for you, folks. I walk 20 minutes every single morning. Now, that was a very hard thing for me to get into. But here's the way I did it. I realized I didn't have to walk for 20 minutes. I only had to walk for 10 minutes. I could do 10 minutes standing on my head and then walk home. See, easy. Walk for 10 and then walk home. Works like a charm. But guess what? That 20-minute walk in the morning sets the entire foundation for my day. Totally. But again, you know, becoming unsteady is normal. Not wanting to walk up and down stairs is normal. How many senior citizens, how many older adults that you know live in buildings that don't have an elevator in them? I mean, seriously now, okay? Why would you go out and buy a two or a three-story house in your 70s? Or more importantly, why would you want to stay in a two or a three-story house when you could get one on one level? Wouldn't that make more sense? Sure it would. Even if you want to remain with all your stuff, okay, until the day you die. Wouldn't it make sense if you can get to it? Why would you want to have it upstairs? That's a, well, you, you never want to walk. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. But in order to do that, you have to become flexible. You have to reverse your thinking. Another issue is pets. How many senior citizens have that you know, how many older people have you seen, you know, being walked down the street by a 40 or a 50 pound dog? How many? Too many. Too many. Again, the concept is you have to you have to adjust. You have to internalize the reality of becoming older. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It really, really, really isn't. It's just the reality of it. And if you want to live a long time, if you really want to try to make 100 and then a little bit more, You've got to make some practical adjustments. You, you really, really do. Um, and that's what this and that's what this article is all about. Um, and I quote, I believe people are not only in denial of the changes they are experiencing, but have become attached to a particular image of themselves that includes having a certain breed of dog or a multi-story home living on a large property 20 miles outside of town. Unfortunately, it often takes an injury to be the wake-up call that some behavior needs to be modified or eliminated altogether. A good friend has just been air evacuated home from Europe because of an accident. That was not her fault. It could have happened anywhere. But at 74, her husband and she live in a tri-level house. And what that means is that she's not going to be able to recuperate at home. So these, these are the things that I want you to take into consideration. And you need to have a good, long conversation with yourself. Go take a slow walk on the beach, on the promenade, and, you know, fairly assess what your situation is and make an intelligent decision about aging in place. If it's definitely something you want to do, you have to figure in 
the cost and the expense of modifying your home to accommodate your reality. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. We're going to be right back after this with our guest, and you don't want to miss our guest today. Listening to KMET. And we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. I'm really pleased to be able to introduce you this afternoon uh, to a gentleman who has been in the company of giants. Ronald Reagan, Billy Graham, Clint Eastwood, Vince Scully, Bob Hope, John Wooden, John Williams, and Billy Jean King are just a few of the people that he has rubbed shoulders with and created life stories for. Bob Chesney, how are you today, sir? Wonderful. It's a pleasure to be with you, Mark. And you know, took your advice about walking. My wife and I yesterday walked to Hagadas. How was it? All flavors were great. <laughs> there you go. Great. Glad to hear it. So, Bob, maybe maybe the best place to start out is uh, to tell our listeners a little bit about you and and how you came to becoming a videographer of people's stories. Well, it started really with the loss of my dad. He, he passed at 62, and we really had nothing on him. And as the grandchildren evolved, they would always ask, you know, what was he like? And all we had was pictures. Now, for my mom, my sister and I collaborated and created her life story, and we watched that every Mother's Day. She's been gone now four years, but mm. we celebrate with a bottle of wine, and we relive her life, and it's she's literally there with us all the time. That's great. So so how many years have you been doing these long almost, and short life stories for people? Almost 25 years now. 25 years. Okay. Were you trained in videography? Well, it, it's a passion. Uh, obviously, I do that for a living. But the idea of creating a life story uh, has always appealed to me because these great people that I have been privileged to create these videos for but then I look at real people who are not celebrities, people who haven't hit a home run or been indicted uh, or made a movie. Real people who raised a great family, were great parents, great children, but their lessons in life mm -hmm. sort of go away in place of a picture or maybe a slideshow of some sorts. What's the oldest person you've done a life story for? 96. 96. And, and how long ago was that? That was three years ago. Is, is he still with us or she no, still passed? They passed. Okay. Maybe you can give us a little bit of, a, of an idea of what, what your process is. Where does well, it start? What's involved? You know, Well, it starts with a very simple concept. A life story is typically done in chapters. And those chapters can run from one chapter to a dozen. In my case, mine has 18 chapters. But of course, I have un an unlimited budget, so mine goes on interminably. But the average person is about 12, and we like them to be about five minutes or so because people don't have a great attention span, particularly some of the younger generation. And because they're chapterized, mm. they're able to go to the chapter that has most interest to them. So the first thing we do is we sit down collaboratively and we say, let's talk about your life. What are some of the chapters that you most want to share with mm -hmm. future generations and your current generations. You, you don't have to be in the grave to benefit from this. 
because you've got young people coming up and they're saying, Grandpa, what did you do? How did you make a living? How did you mm -hmm. get to where you are? And right. you don't always get that opportunity to explain that to them. So this technique works. Then once we have the chapters designated, whether it's one or a dozen or whatever, sort of use some really powerful technology called three by five cards. And on the front <laughs> of the card, you simply put what the chapter heading is. And then on the back, you put maybe three or four bullet points so that you don't have to remember dates and things like that. And then you're actually interviewed much like you're interviewing me only they're doing the talking and they're talking about that particular chapter. Now, it's done two ways. One is where I actually, with that note, draw that out of them. But in many cases, the whole family comes together and each sibling or each child takes a chapter and says, let's talk about how you got into your business, your profession. And it then becomes a Q&A. So there's two different ways to do it. But it's always pre-thought, mm -hmm. but not pre-scripted. So it's it's a little bit more structured than, let's say, reality TV. Yes, because, again, you, you don't want to warble. And uh, uh, less is more. And the reason for five minutes is, yeah, could you go six? Could you go seven? Yeah, but we try to discourage that because five minutes is more than enough to tell about any one chapter. I got you. It, it, sounds, it sounds almost like um, you format it like some of these, uh, these short form... Um, episodics on on the internet it's just come through trial and error and i learned that by interviewing my late uncle and we burned three hours of tape only to find out that there was a better way to do it and that was to have a little structure <laughs> and it's much easier that way because you kind of go into each chapter and you kind of look at the clock and say okay you're really going in the weeds here this is a good time to redo it and let's start at the beginning of that chapter once you're done, that's where the fun comes in. Using technology, we transcribe that. And now what we have is a verbal translation, a written translation of what you said. And now that can be edited by any editor or even using technology like Grammarly or something and turned into a publication of some sort, whether it's a book, an ebook, or what I think is the most powerful is a video where you're actually telling that story, but you're not reading anything. You're communicating it and you're talking to somebody. You're not just talking to a camera. I see. Okay. So when, when you talk about a book or an ebook, have, have any of your clients uh, taken the um, video life stories that you made for them and, and turned them into books? No, when they see the video, they go, why do I need a book? Why do I need a book? Right. My grandkids don't read anyway. <laughs> They're proud of because of the public school system. Yeah. People are, are very focused. People of all ages are very focused in sound bites right now. And it's not sit in traffic for an hour, but complain about how long that video is. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yes, that's very interesting. How many of these life stories have you done or approximately? Almost 100 now. A hundred. Okay. There's okay. a lot of trepidation I have to share with you, Mark, because so many people say, I'd love to do that, but no one is interested. Yes. I'd love to do it, Mark, but I, I hate to be on camera. I have a face for radio. I, I'd love to do it, Mark, but I plan on living forever. So I'll just procrastinate yeah. until I've know. lost the ability to communicate. Well, you know, um, if we're talking about the baby boomer generation or, or the um, the World War II generation, 
they um, found that a lot of people that were uh, in the war are, are reticent to talk about that part of their life. Funny you said that, because each year I also do a special program for the club. And in there, we interviewed veterans. And I was interviewing one, and his wife was uh, far enough to where she could hear, but not close enough to see. Where my eye, I saw her weeping. And she came up to me afterwards, and she said, no one has ever told those stories that you got my husband to tell. Uh, it was therapeutic is what it was. Mm -hmm. Because those memories will stay forever now for those children and grandchildren. Sure. When you talk about the club, you're talking about the Jonathan Club. The Jonathan Club. It's a very nice club in downtown L.A. Yeah. And, and you've been associated with them for a long time. Over 25 years. 25 years also. Okay, great. I can appreciate what you're saying. Even my father sort of closed-mouthed about what he did in the war and the things that he saw. And um, and I have found that not to be the exception, but but more the norm. Again, we let them go as far as they want to go. The whole idea is not to put them under duress or stress, but to make it fun. And mm -hmm. some of the stories are very, very humorous because that's part of the magic today. You have to be what we call infotainment. And that is you've got to entertain people at the same time as you inform them. Otherwise, they're going to fall asleep. Gotcha. Um, so what's your technique? How do you how do you start? Imagine somebody in their 90s. Most people in, in their 90s are sort of reticent to, to get into this. Usually it's the family that wants it, I would think. And they kind of like talk them into it. No? Yes. Uh, and in some cases, we overcome that by simply saying, my, my mother said, do I have to do this? And we said, yeah. Ah, okay. It's not right. for us. It's for our children's children. And you find that at a certain point, they sort of surrender their objections and just and just move forward. I'll tell you a long story very quickly. Please, please. We had a very successful financial advisor who wanted his father done. And the father yeah. was totally difficult. He sat there with his arms crossed like this. By the second question, his son asked him, he had opened up by the third question. He was crying his eyes out. And when we finished, wow. he said, I was so not wanting to do this, but thank you for doing it. And I only wished I had the sense to do this for my father. Oh, very interesting. It's very therapeutic interesting. is what it is. And it's fun. The, yeah. the whole idea is make it fun. Can, can you share with us um, maybe one or two experiences that you've had that have, that have been unique? Well, yeah, uh, particularly when you bring the family into the picture, because it, yeah. and this really works beautifully when you get the whole family in a semicircle around the loved one, whether it's the father or the the, the mother, and uh -huh. their siblings are kind of watching and going, oh, I can do better than that. And so there becomes some some uh, interfamily relationships that really are fun, and uh, they really bring out the best because they're able to talk to their love parent and, and say, tell me more about that. But they know where they're going. It's not a uh, endless search. They're talking mm -hmm. about their college education, how they became a professional, how they met their mother, uh, some of those stories. And they each get to cho choose one topic, one chapter. Have you had a situation where you had uh, people in their 80s or 90s where, where you had brothers and sisters? Very often, business associates, colleagues. Oh, really? Okay. Very interesting how it all shakes out. But again, they don't have to be in their 80s. Uh, I, I recommend do it while you are young because you can always update it anytime you like. Most of the people who planned on living forever find that every five years or so, it's kind of fun to 
In fact, we updated our moms three times. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it's kind of like you you put, just for argument's sake, you, you put seven or eight chapters together, and every four or five years, you film a new chapter. Yeah, I'm shooting a new one on my life because I met the love of my life. Uh, we got married at 83. Well, no, I'm 83 now, so I got married at 80. I had no intention of doing that, but God had other plans for us, and she's the love of my life. So she'll have a whole chapter. And you stuck around. Well, um, it, it seems to me that this is really very good work in a way. It's not just a way to make a living, but um, brings a lot of joy to people. No? Yes? It does because there's a great story where a man did one on his deceased mother. Huh? Uh, we met him at, a, at an event and he said, I'd love to do this because I tell this story, but nobody cares. And when we put it together, he sent it to his siblings that he had really had uh, issues with. And all of a sudden they reunited over the fact that he created this video. And the way he did it was masterfully. He told a story about a woman who had an enormous impact on his life, never mentioning it was his mother until the very end. Oh, so there's a lot of ways to do it. And what's fun is that no two are alike. Everyone is totally different, yeah. but it's like the eight notes of music. Each one does it differently. Elton mm -hmm. John does the eight notes differently than someone else. And that's yeah. a very personal thing. And each chapter has a great little opener to it. It's, it's very well produced. I would imagine in a family situation uh, of, of any type, it's a little bit like the, the story about the three blind wise men and the elephant. Everybody in the family sees the family history from a slightly different point of view. Very and, true. And when all of a sudden you take one of them and, and memorialize them on film and everybody else sees it, it's a little bit of a, a eye-opener. What really works is when the spouse sees it and says, what am I, chopped liver? I don't get a side story. <laughs> is that right? Oh, yeah. It's a great gift that children give to their uh -huh. parents. And it's a great gift that parents give to their children because, you know, when they design that trust fund, I had one person say to me, whenever I get a call from my son, I don't think it's really a call of love. I think it's a checkup to see when he can get that new Beamer that he has his eyes on. So it's unfortunate, but there's more to life than just money. And there's um, lessons that people need to learn. It's, it seems to me that this is relatively new. I mean, the ability to... Uh, for, for for what I'll call common people, for everyday people, to be able to do this has only been around for, what, 40 years or so. Yeah. And, and the most important thing is offsetting that negativity. Nobody cares. My life was not that interesting. In fact, there's a great poem called The Dash that uh, Linda Ellis wrote. And what it basically says in the poem is that when you do pass, and this will me to be macabre, but let's face it, none of us are getting out of here alive. You've got your date of birth, you got your date of passing, and in the middle is a dash. And then uh. the obituary, all it says is, father of three, went to a synagogue or a church, was a whatever he was, and the whole story of that person is condensed into the dash. And then at the memorial service, it's disgusting. You sit there and watch a slideshow that goes on forever. And in the background, you always hear feelings or something like that. Life to me is much more than a dash and a very bad slideshow hastily put together. Not to be waiting for someone's demise, but shared with the family. The minute it's finished, get them together, pull out some wine and enjoy the story. Well, if you've done a hundred of these, I'm sure you've seen... Lots of stories and, and lots of emotions. 
I'm going to talk to you about some of your celebrity clients when we come back. This is uh, Reverse Your Thinking, and we'll be right back after this. And we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. Um, Bob, so... um, uh, by way of the Jonathan Club, you you ended up doing a lot of these short life stories for for many, many celebrities that were be, being featured there. Correct? Yes. My uh, favorite story, if I may share it with you, Mark. Oh, please. John Williams, the, the composer of Star Wars and uh-huh. so many of the performances, told a story of Spielberg invited him to see a screening of Schindler's List, and he was so moved by the rough cut that he literally got up and walked out of the house into the garden and tried not to show too much emotion. Spielberg said to him, John, I need you to write the music for this movie. Mm. Williams said, I know that's why he invited me in the first place, Stephen. I can't do it. Spielberg said, why not? He said, because you need a better composer. And Spielberg said, I know, but they're all dead. Uh, job and he then composed schindler's list so uh some of the stories are are just so amazing vince scully uh what an amazing man he was uh the the great john wooden when he he was actually reciting poetry at 92 years old lee graham amazing people and there's so much to be learned from these people and again when we talk about non-celebrities how they built a business how they bounced back from adversity. Right. Because, uh, in fact, we just lost a great friend and I was so hopeful that we could have captured his life story named Peter Stefan. And we were chatting one day because we're in the same organization. Uh, and he said that at 55, he was dead broke and he took his last hundred dollars, bought food. And from that moment on, he turned his life completely around and went to his grave as a multimillionaire. And I never got to hear what that story was. How did he do it? Can my life go on without that? Sure. But wouldn't it be nice to share that with somebody? Sure would. Are there any stories uh, about any of these other celebs that you care to share with us? Oh, gosh. Let me see. Billie Jean King, I just did a year ago. And she was talking really about not her tennis prowess. Everyone knows that she beat Bobby Riggs. But what she has done to really level the playing field and take away the glass ceiling and making sure that women were paid equally uh, as male professionals in the world of tennis and in other sports. And we're seeing so much issue going on right now. But again, to hear how she thought in those days and the pressure, when she formed the first women's tennis league, she was talking about the fact that the women who stepped up literally gambled their professional future on the ability to stand tall, but again, there's safety in numbers. But to hear a story like that, instead of just reading about it, and a reading is good, I'm not knocking it, I'm just saying, but to hear it with all the emotion she brought, just a beautiful story. I just have the highest esteem for her now. Do any of of your clients ever post their stories online? Oh, yes. Because again, you have family members all over the world who I just finished one now for one of the uh, key distributors of Holiday Magic. And many people don't even know what a Holiday Magic was. It was one of the largest direct sales organizations in the world. Uh, it actually dwarfed at that time Mary Kay 
and uh, even uh, some of the others out there. And now he's posted it to probably three or 400 people are being able to watch it wherever they are in the world, because he's not bragging about himself. He's telling how he did these things gotcha. and how he overcame adversity. And that's important for people. Are any of these um, these these stories online that the public can can see? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What what I do when a when a client is interested, I do a complimentary session with them, so that we can actually ascertain if this is right for them, and if it is, what types of chapters would be of interest to their to their family. Well, maybe maybe, maybe you can take a moment and like lay out for us what what that first meeting is like. Yeah, that would be the first question. I would say, and I take copious notes because I record those so I don't have to take notes at that time. I can focus mm -hmm. on that. And I said, let's talk about some of the, the important things in your life. For example, uh, did you serve in the military? Would you like to talk about that as one of the chapters? Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about your childhood? Many people say, no, I had a terrible childhood. I was abused as a child. Well, why don't we skip that? Uh, do you want to talk about your education? No, I don't have formal education. I'm a graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. Everything I did, I learned on the fly. So in other words, by finding out what are things that are of interest to them, it's easy to develop that story for them. Then I say, now, if uh, you wanted to do uh, six chapters or so, let's put some bullet points behind these cards. And now we've already got the whole thing outlined in a short period of time, whether they choose to go forward or not. So that's sort of my gift to them. If they choose not to, at least mm -hmm. somebody took the time to listen to them and help formulate. Because writing your life story is is very difficult, unless you're a professional writer. And most of them hire a ghost writer anyway. Mm -hmm. So you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth. Um, so you talk about it being a, a difficult thing to do. What What would you say are some of the biggest obstacles for people to do this? Aside from the fact that they think their lives are boring. Yes. Uh, the ability to say, yes, let's get started. Procrastination. What were we joking about the other day? The meeting of the Procrastinators mm -hmm. Club has been postponed. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. people think, and then I hear these stories every day. It's really sad, Mark, because uh, uh, just talking with a gentleman the other day, he was a very successful uh, safari hunter, and I won't mention mm -hmm. it organization but he literally hunted with presidents and i said look you don't have to do this and then he pulled up a newspaper and he said this guy's going to write my obituary free of charge and i said that's wonderful i think your life is a little bit more than an obituary that somebody wrote for free not believe a day after i left him he fell down and it went immediately to intensive care and i don't know if he'll make it or not so the idea of procrastination, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're not, don't. What about people What about people that have, have stage fright? Well, How do you get them overcome that? They're always talking to somebody. They're not talking to a camera. Mm -hmm. And that dissipates stage fright. Gotcha. All right. So you take time with them. Oh, yes. Okay. Terrific. Um, uh, are there any other celebrity stories that you're at liberty to share with us? Oh yeah. All right. When we come back, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to tell us some of those. Okay. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking on KMET. Find out about what he can do for you and a story for your family. Uh, stay right where you are. Bob's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere, and we'll be right back.
after this. And we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. Our guest this week is Bob Chesney, who uh, memorializes people's life stories and has done that for many, many, many of us, uh, including many celebs. Uh, I, I was curious, when when, the, when you deliver a finished product, what, what type of format is that in? It comes in multiple formats. Uh, one of them is a DVD. A lot of people are saying, what? Didn't I used to know about DVDs 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. But we also put it in a little uh, thumb drive, and uh -huh. we recommend that that thumb drive, a copy of it, is put right with your trust, your will, your power of attorney, and every all of your important papers, your insurance papers, because someday we're going to be looking for it, and we want it to be there. And it's also kept up in the cloud with passwords so that only people who need to see it or want to see it are given access to it. So it's not out there for the general public to see. Um, do you record people giving um, auditory will or an auditory trust? Not really, because that's that, that's uh, kind of a... And some attorneys don't even do that. My interest and passion is in getting the story. And uh -huh. I'd like to hear just one of them. He's now been gone almost three years. This was a man who was so quiet. No one even knew that he was a, almost a billionaire. Oh. And, but he was fun, but very quiet, very humble. And we talked at church about this, and he just never he even gave me a clue that he would be interested. We got invited to his 90th birthday party, and he called me on a Saturday morning. I'll never forget this. And he said, Bob, you know, you're coming to our thing today, and uh, well, can, you, can you put a little something together? I said, well, let's see. It's 10 o'clock. We're going to be mm -hmm. there at 4. Why not? And we showed that, and every, just to see him come alive in front of that camera, the guy yeah. was shy. But what he talked about was not that he was a, almost a billionaire. Yeah. It's how he realized that he could make his fortune by industrial buildings and how he could lease them out and how wow. he got started learning from somebody and then improving on what he learned. So the lessons were amazing. And I was privileged to present his eulogy. And we had a screen the size of Dodger Stadium behind me. Uh -huh. And all I said was, I'd like to tell you about this amazing man who was so shy mm. that he wouldn't want me saying a thing about him. So let's share this story with you. And the people sat mesmerized for 45 minutes. No one stirred. Huh. Never knew who the man was. They never knew uh, that he was the biggest donor to the church and some of the wonderful things he did philanthropically. As they just saw this quiet guy. He always wore a baseball cap, even to church. Right. <laughs> and uh, But he's been a hero of mine, and it was an honor to do that. Before you came on, we were talking about uh, aging in place. And we were talking about the fact that uh, a lot of people, uh, especially when they get into their 70s, 80s, 90s, want to remain um, in and surrounded by their things, their things, their stuff. Um, and I know that that a lot of people are beginning to figure out that you can you can videotape your things and you can uh, describe them and tell stories about them and have them recorded by somebody like you. 
And then at that point, you you really don't even don't really need the thing anymore. Have have you found yourself in any situations like that, helping people to declutter that way? Well, the love of my life, uh, we were just talking about it this morning. She said, you know, when you videotape me going through this China cabinet with all of these relics that have mm -hmm. been there now for generations, I wanted to be sure to hold up the item and tell the story and why I'm gifting this upon my demise. She has no intention of leaving anytime soon. Right. And, and uh, just absolutely the love of my life. She's gorgeous. And but she did. It and she said, you felt a little emotional. And I said, that's great, because there's emotion connected to everything. And it's yeah, really well, good. You shared that instead of just saying, here's a trinket or here's yeah. a piece of China or whatever. Well, that's well, you know, a, a lot of people, a, a lot of the things that people collect and hold on to uh, are not because of the intrinsic value of the thing. It's because of what it represents to them. And many times when they get to speak to somebody like you and to um hold that thing and show that thing to the audience and then and then tell its story once they do that and memorialize that the thing no longer has the same value in a sense because it, it was the story about the thing that was more important than than the item itself it reminds me of a san diego shoot i did uh, the gentleman called me and he said um it's going to be my 90th birthday. We've got people flying in from all over the world. I own a large complex in, outside of San Diego. And I strategized how this would work. And he said, but will you be done by three o'clock? Because all these people are coming in. We won't be able to do anything. I said, great, we'll be done by way before two o'clock. And I had each grandchild sit down with him. And the, what's interesting about the man is he had no middle finger. And he... Okay. he wasn't broadcasting it, but he kind of always, you never saw the fact he didn't have the middle finger. So one of the grandchildren said, Grandpa, there's all kinds of stories about what happened to your middle finger. Would you tell it? And he said, do you really want to know? He said, yes, because we have no idea what happened. And he uh, told the story of how it was a boating accident and so forth and so on. And the child was so relieved over this whole thing. He said, now, now I get the story. And that child now is, my gosh, that was 10 years ago. So this story will live forever. And again, what value is it? Mm -hmm. I think it's Christmas. But what do I know? So, Bob, what does your service cost? If you think about a television set, that's about what it costs. If you go into Costco or one of these big department stores, chances are you will see more television sets than you can shake a stick at. And they range from a 22-inch to an 85-inch. It all depends on what kind of a television you want. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you and talk to you more about what's, what size television they want to pay for to memorialize their story for ages to come, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I would love to have them just drop me an email at videocc at aol.com. Don't laugh, videocc at aol.com. And I will then uh, have a complimentary session with them and see if this is right for them. I Thank you so much, Bob Chesney. You've been listening to Reverse Your Thinking. This is KMET. Get home safe. We'll see you next week. Where the living is good.